Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. shooting in the nation I went to a school board meeting after the what, Marjorie Douglas high school shooting and I spoke about their requirement to secure schools but I don't know what the latest estimate on the number of guns in the country is right But it's an interesting search. So if you do a quick search, it's it's estimated that over 400 million guns are in the United States. 93% of that, so that's 393 million are in the hands of civilians. And, um, So when I went and spoke, I said, you know, it's it's your it's your duty to make sure that our schools are safe. And you have one community 
resource officer um, to for 38 schools there's um there's resource officers at the high schools always but not at the middle school and not at the uh not at the elementary schools and i said you know <clears throat> when i drop my daughter off at school i'm not supposed to have to go to the morgue to pick her up that's your responsibility and i said and i told him i said you, i don't think you have the right not to secure these schools and hope which i said is not a course of action that something bad doesn't happen at one of them that could be prevented now i know it's going to cost you money i said but i think there's ways for you to get that money and i think the taxpayers of the of the county would be more than happy to support that but here's what they they don't want to support you levy those taxes and not do what you're supposed to do which is to protect our kids so in a nation of 393 million guns in the hands of civilians if you look at this issue and you think the problem is gun control then i think that's more of a political solution than it is uh anything else so what do you do um is it too much to, to say secure the grounds is it too much to say have cameras up there and somebody charged with watching those cameras which is pretty fucking boring i might i might add the doors of the schools locked and then observed by cameras that should be basic stuff right and then to have somebody on the premises that is armed and what i told them is i said you know you have veterans that in in the community that are retired that have firearms experience you have retired police officers and you could you could put them through a course you could vet them and um also they're retired all they're looking to do is make cash you could probably do that on the cheap you don't have to hire full-fledged police officers but you do need somebody with a gun to stop some shit like this and then you see it again how does somebody get into a classroom and kill that many people before somebody stops them now, I don't know what the security um, posture was at that school in Texas, but and then what, what I what I knew would happen after I spoke at the Newport Mesa school district meeting was I mean they would not polite not nod politely, and then they would look at what it would cost them to implement something, and they, they were talking about completing fences around schools. That's what they were talking about. And so <clears throat> I had to wait till the end of the meeting to speak in the open comments part of it. And um, and it gets rejected, you know. The discussion goes no further because, you know, this thing will dust up when these things happen. And then, I mean, come on. The, the law of probability says it's not going to happen to us. So we're not going to fund it because, you know, we have other 
more important things to pay for. Like, you know, let me tell you, you could, you could <clears throat> turn over the whole city budget to the school district and they'd look at you and tell you it's not enough. That is the bottomless pit of education. So I, I, again, how many times does this have to happen before, you know, the states decide, the school districts decide, our schools cannot be soft targets anymore for anybody, okay, for anybody. So that's number one. Number two, who the fuck does this? And if you've ever contemplated this, and and. I, you know, I think my comments were similar when the thing happened in Florida. And my comments were to stand there and shoot innocent people. Children. As they scream. And you watch gunshots hit them. I mean, what the fuck is that? Where does that come from? And again, um, I've talked about the, the suicide and the anxiety and the depression that is growing in, in young America. And I would tell you that we are only going to see more of it, and that is suicide. I think we're only going to see more of these kind of events because between the shit parenting that goes on, between the shit schooling they go to, you have young people that look at the words discipline, self-discipline, respect. They pay no fucking attention to them. None. They're not raised in that world anymore. It's about them. It's about what makes them happy. It's about their feelings. And if they don't want to do it, fuck you. They'll do what they want to do. And then they get into the real world and the real world doesn't cooperate with that. The real world requires that. And then the disconnect happens. What do you mean I can't have it my way? What do you mean I have to do these things? And then there's going to be a percentage to say, fuck this. And then their warped little worlds they live in online, right? They do the shit we saw in Buffalo and now at a, at a school with children. In Buffalo at a fucking market with innocent civilians, the majority of which are black. And so to me, and, and I deal in this world all the time in post-traumatic winning. And you look at young people that have been raised like that First of all, who the fuck were your parents? Why did they even have you? Oh, right, you're probably an accident. Because probably for them, not much of what they do in life is deliberate. Certainly we're not into parenting. And this is what you get. Kill your grandmother in cold blood? And then go do that. I mean. But again, I, I think the culture will only spawn more of it. And that's the sad reality of, 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 
of the culture that we live in today in the United States. Our culture will only spawn more suicide. It will only give us more weak, more obese, right? More, what do you mean I have to go someplace to go to work? Why can't I do it out of my bedroom still? Yeah, we're paying you to work, not to fuck off, okay? Just so you know. So anyway, um, yeah, it pains me to say that. But I don't see what changes it. The parenting qualities of America? That's a joke. The public school system? That's That's a fucking joke. And so you get what you get. Sad. More suicide and more shit like this. And so, you know, to every state legislature out there, harden your schools. Spend the money. Create a program where you have somebody with a gun on those premises. And if somebody shows up with a gun, you've at least hardened the school, make it hard for them to get in. And if something, God forbid, does happen, you have somebody that will get there in literally in seconds. And who's not afraid to die, I might add, that day. As opposed to what we saw in Florida where the, those, those officers didn't run there guns drawn to confront that guy they did other things like secure the building fuck that dude you're at the pointy end today might be your day to die but that's why you're there with a gun and so anyway so i wanted to talk about that as we open um grant's gonna join me here um i thought it was appropriate given the president's first trip to asia we talked about it, you know, what Grant anticipated. So uh, I wanted to have Grant back on and, and get his thoughts on what he thought of the trip and, and the reaction to the trip. So you'll hear that today. Um, the other thing I want to I want to share with you today, in the open today, two more things I'll share with you. And... Um, Uh, in USNI News yesterday, they published a story, investigation, colon, USX, USS Connecticut, South China Sea grounding result of lax oversight and more planning and poor planning. How do you run a submarine into an underwater mountain? And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, how they did it. And this is Navy bullshit boilerplate. This is why the Navy sucks so much. No single action or inaction caused the mishap, but it was preventable. <clears throat> Excuse me. It resulted from an accumulation of errors and omissions in navigation, planning, watch team execution, and risk management, the investigation states. Prudent decision-making and adherence to standards in any one of these three areas could have prevented grounding. So what you're telling me is that this submarine is totally fucked up. Okay. And there's no excuse for it. 
The report also outlines a high operational tempo for the attack boat that spent 67% of the last two and a half years away from Bremerton, Washington, its home port, and the captain's 784 days of command. In the hours leading up to the grounding, the crew had several chances to prevent the incident, but ignored warnings that the boat was at risk. What does this sound like? This sounds like the shit, right, in the Moluccan Straits with the McCain. It's fucking amateur hour in the Na- in the United States Navy, and 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 so is the, is the captain of the ship gonna get court-martialed for his negligence, right? Driving his submarine into a fucking mountain. And it wasn't like, oh, this thing erupted and nobody knew it was there. Because you're going to hear how they hit it. And the, the Navy will find a way not to do that. So let me read you a little bit about the incident. On October 2nd, Connecticut was traveling at high speeds in the South China Sea towards Okinawa for humanitarian evacuation when the grounding occurred. Speed and location information were redacted in the report. So they were going 24 knots, which is more than 27 miles an hour underwater. Now, just so you know, that's not, I mean, underwater, that's fast, okay? On the surface, you know, not uncommon for surface ships to travel at 24 knots. Right? On October 1st, Agilini, Executive Officer Patrick Cashin, Chief of the Boat Corey Rogers, the Assistant Navigator, Weapons Officer, Boat Engineer, Operations Officers, and others had a planning meeting for a new voyage plan they plotted a temporary route for the evacuation. A temporary route may be used at the discretion of the CO, provided the ship is operating on an approved NAV plan and has a process for temporary route evaluation and approval. The CO did not conduct a detailed review of the route. To meet the mission, the crew plotted a course through regions that weren't wholly charted. And the navigator and the boat's leadership had conflicting ideas to how well they understood the route. For example, the captain of the ship incorrectly thought the route was covered by a classified navigation tool that provides submarine crews a hyper-accurate understanding of the subsurface geography, according to the report. The navigation review team, including the CO, incorrectly assessed that Connecticut would be operating in an open ocean environment, reads the report. Quote, they should have recognized that the ship would be in restricted waters based on the planned track passing near multiple navigation hazards. While underway on the route, the crew took continual readings with the onboard fathometer, which measures the depth of the water underneath the keel. The soundings were used by the crew to compare the depth of the water on the charts and the actual depth below. Less than an hour before the grounding, the quartermaster of the watch began to see depths that did not align with the planned path of the submarine. 
I would think, now I'm not a submariner by trade, okay? But when I'm pinging the bottom of the, of the ocean and the numbers are coming up different than the chart, that's a big, big fucking red flashing light in Mac's head if I'm part of what navigates this boat because I'm not crashing the motherfucker, okay? Yeah, that's not going to be good for my retirement. The quartermaster of the watch informed the officer of the deck of the inconsistencies. That's the way this works. With the charted route, neither the officer of the deck nor the quartermaster informed the captain of the ship of the mismatch between the pedometer soundings and the chart. Now, this is the same fucking shit, right, that we saw in two collisions. The OD stated he was concerned with the shallower than expected soundings, but that he did not assess a need to take aggressive action, reads the report. The OD did not consider ordering a slower speed. Fucking stupid. Seconds before the collision, the sonar supervisor identified a trace near the bow. The trace was classified as an animal. The sonar supervisor stated there were no other contacts. The Connecticut grounded on a seamount. 11 crew members suffered minor injuries from the impact, and the boat lost its radar dome while in transit to Guam. An evaluation from Naval Sea Systems Command after the submarine was placed into dry dock in February found that the damage is located in the bow of the ship and the lower portion of the rudder. The COXO navigator and chief of the boat were removed from their positions shortly after the collision and issued letters of reprimand after the collision on October 29th. Letters of reprimand. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, it's amazing. Just under a year on the the job, the, the commanding officer of the ship was counseled via letter of performance from the commander of the submarine development Commander Submarine Development Squadron 5, Captain Lincoln Reestack. So nobody's going to get court-martialed again. Uh, I mean, um, amazing. Amazing. All preventable, all stupid, right? All due to lack of attention to detail. And that's what they get fucking paid for. That's why they're the senior people on that boat. Hey, sir, just so you know, Depth ranges are different from the chart. What? When was the chart done? Who did the chart? It was done by the secret creeper people. Okay, this isn't good. Stand by. Get the navigator here, right? Get the exco, get the CO. Or maybe I'm full of shit, right? 
Then you run it into a fucking mountain underwater. And then nobody's going to get court-martialed because the Navy doesn't work like that anymore. Amazing. I mean, it's um, you want to know why you're fucked up? There you go. Um, email. Mac, what do you do for Memorial Day? Um, Colleen will be up in Wyoming. And I'll be here by myself. Um, I don't go. Uh, I'll go to military ceremonies that mark Memorial Day. Um, I, I don't like to go to civilian ones. I'm not really interested what some fucking judge who's never served has to say about the significance of Memorial Day. Because invariably it pisses me the fuck off. So, I mean, I just, uh, I just stay busy. I don't, I don't watch anything other than sports. Um, I mind my own business, right? Um, so I, uh, you know, I mean, again, I, I've said this before on the program, but, um, when you've watched what Memorial Day means to sacrifice, and then you've, you've dealt with the families that live with it, um, pretty somber day. And I tried beforehand to reach out to, to families I know and just tell them they're in my thoughts and prayers and uh, that I was thinking about them. But I don't do that during the weekend. I, I do that here in the next 48 hours. So I do that. But other than that, uh, I stay away from it. Um, yeah, I stay away from it. And, and I've even evolved um, as I've gotten older um, the whole happy Memorial Day thing. You know, I, I just, um, I, um, I've evolved to understand that they're just ignorant, okay? Um, and again, I'm a shitty Catholic, but I, I, I went to Catholic schools for a lot of years. And um, so, you know, Jesus' words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, that's what I think about. They don't know what, if they, my my experience with the American people and, and the way they respond when they're touched by tragedy and war is that they, they're, they're awesome. And um, so anybody who says that, I mean, they're just, I mean, literally, they ignor they're ignorant. They just don't understand very much about it and so they say stupid shit and i try not even to take it personal anymore if i have to go out to home depot or something like that um you know i just smile and nod so anyway yeah grant's going to join us here in a few minutes the united states marine corps band makes this morning official Good morning to you.
this is dedicated to school boards around the country. Your words ring, ring hollow when your actions don't match up. Um, when you don't protect our children um, and devote the money that it takes, given the world that we live in. Um, this is dedicated to you that you unfuck yourself. You don't have the right to tell us that I can, we can find our children at the morgue after the police are done with their autopsies. You don't have that right. Your responsibility is to protect our children. And in a nation of 393 million guns, okay, in a nation of shitty parenting and shitty education, we have idiots here. And those idiots, on occasion, go kill people and they go to schools to do it. Your job is to stop that, period. Period. No excuses. So this is dedicated to you in the spirit that you unfuck yourself. And you protect the most precious things that families give you, and that is your kids. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. Time for us to check the weather.
Currently in Quantico, it is cloud in 66. At Cherry Point, home of the Second Marine Air Wing, it is cloudy in 66 as well. 29 Palms, sunny in 84. Camp Pendleton, sun in 63. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark, clear, and 72. Waiting for the other temperatures to lower. In Okinawa, it is dark clear in 75, dark cloudy in 75. In Manila, dark cloudy in 83. In Darwin, on the northern coast of Australia, it is clear dark at 77. And in Kiev, late in the day, it is partly sunny and 73. In the Costa Mesa Newport Beach area of Southern California, it is sunny and 64. Looking for a high today of 71. Tomorrow will be 69, Friday 70, Saturday 69, Sunday 71. So, there you go. Got that going for you. All right, we'll check the news uh, pretty quickly, and then uh, you'll hear Grant Newsham uh, giving his reactions to some of the headlines that have come out of the president's um, Western Pacific jaunt in which he unveiled a new economic organization out there. Uh, also get Grant's thoughts on uh, the president saying that the United States would defend Taiwan the White House walking it back and all the stuff that surrounds that. But I was most interested in, in Grant's reaction and his thoughts on the reaction in the region of, of that. Um, so anyway, um, top stories today in uh, Stars and Stripes. Yeah, the submarine thing kills me. Letter of reprimand and relieved. Hmm. What does it take? <laughs> what does it take to to get your ass court-martialed? If it's your negligence and lack of attention to detail that drives the submarine under your command into a mountain, I don't know. I, I, just, I just find it stunning. Um, top headline in Stars and Stripes. U.S. and South Korea respond to North Korea's latest missile test with launches of their own. North Korea fired three ballistic missiles Wednesday morning off its eastern coast, according to South Korea's Yonghap News Agency. And, um, and again, Grant and I talk about this, but 
you know, all designed to embarrass or at least show up the President of the United States. That launch prompted the United States and South Korea to respond with a show of force of their own launches. They fired three missiles. The Japanese Ministry of Defense confirmed at least two missiles were fired Wednesday morning and landed outside of the country's economic exclusion zone. Following the launches, U.S. Forces Korea announced in an unsigned press release that it had fired a surface-to-surface missile toward the eastern coast to demonstrate the ability of the combined U.S. and South Korea force to respond quickly to crisis events. South Korea's military also conducted an armed exercise consisting of 30 South Korean F-15K jets. So there you have it. A little tit-for-tat on the Korean Peninsula. The um, top story in the Wall Street Journal this morning, victims of Texas shooting were killed in one classroom. Top story in the New York Times is carnage occurred in a single classroom in at a Texas school. Chilling details emerge in the killing of 19 children and two teachers. Top story in the Washington Post is massacre in a fourth grade classroom. Top story in USNI News is about the investigation in the USS Connecticut. Top story in Marine Corps Times this morning. Deal on toxic exposure bill includes more VA staff, dozens of new VA medical clinics. That's awesome. Congratulations to everybody that's going to get a fucking job out of that. Will it translate into better health care for veterans? I don't know. It doesn't seem like all the money thrown at the VA. Is it helping the problem? I don't know. Anyway. Um, although, you know, let me just tell you, I've, my experience in Long Beach, and, but, you know, major metro, metropolitan area, um, you know, lots of medical schools around it. Southern California, a place where people want to live and work. Um, my experience in Long Beach has been awesome. Well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I stopped um, going to their dermatology because it's such a hassle and a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yep. Um Top stories in the early bird, number one, deal on toxic exposure bill includes more VA staff, blah, 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 blah. Number two, Marine Corps considers abandoning Paris Island amid rising extreme weather threats. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? Paris Island no more. The sand fleas, the swamp, the mythology that surrounds it. Yeah, 
I'm not sure what to say about that. A lot of, uh, but global warming, right? The water lines are going to rise. So somebody's going to have to make a decision at some point. Um, National Guard needs stable funding from Congress to execute programs to train Ukrainian troops, according to its top general. Um, A story in Navy Times about the USS Connecticut. Before the submarine Connecticut and its crew collided with an undersea mountain last fall, red flags abounded. My guess would be that would be written by none other than Jeff Zulowitz. Exactly. Um, panel to push for Fort Bragg to be renamed to Fort Liberty. Now, let me see if I can find all the name changes. Here's the final list so far. There's a whole bunch of these bases, army bases, right? Army forts. Fort Benning recommended to be renamed Fort Moore for Lieutenant General Hal Moore and his wife, Julia. Fort Bragg, North Carolina, recommended to be renamed Fort Liberty after the value of liberty. Fort Gordon, Georgia, recommended to be renamed Fort Eisenhower. That needs no explanation. Uh, Fort A.P. Hill, recommended to be named Fort Walker after Dr. Mary Walker, the Army's first female surgeon. Fort Hood, Texas, recommended to be named Fort Cavazos after General Richard Cavazos, who who received a Distinguished Service Cross for heroism in the Vietnam War and was the Army's first Hispanic four-star general. Fort Lee in Virginia recommended to be named Fort Greg Adams after Lieutenant General Arthur Gregg and Lieutenant Colonel Charity Adams. Gregg was a key figure in the integration of black soldiers into the Army. Adams was one of the highest-ranking female soldiers in World War II. Fort Pickett, Virginia, would be renamed Fort Barfoot after Technical Sergeant Van T. Barfoot, a Medal of Honor recipient. Fort Polk in Louisiana, recommended to be named Fort Johnson after Sergeant William Johnson, a Medal of Honor recipient. Fort Rucker in Alabama, recommended to be named Fort Novosel after Chief Warrant Officer for Michael Novosel, a Medal of Honor recipient. The article talks about the name for Fort Bragg could be the most controversial given it's the only one not named for a military hero. The question would be why? So, yeah, Army, DOD, big changes coming up. Um, the top stories relative to the Ukraine are Russian troops plunge through Ukraine lines in Donbass as fighting enters a decisive week. 
Next story from the Martian Post. U.S. intelligence documents show Russian naval blockade of the Ukraine. From the New York Times, Henry Kissinger suggests that Ukraine give up territory to Russia. And that, as you might expect, is drawing quite the backlash. Wall Street Journal has a story between the front lines, Ukrainian reconnaissance teams hunt Russian targets. From the Washington Post, Putin made a big strategic mistake in Ukraine, according to the chief of NATO, said that in Davos. That is a uh, look at your news headlines this morning. And so, um, yeah, you know, the president was out in uh, was out in the Pacific and went to the Quad Summit. And so much balahood was his, actually it wasn't much balahood. It was much head scratching to see what um, ultimately the United States was going to offer uh, as to be part of this. Uh, Western Pacific group. And so President Biden unveiled it. Um, and so I want to get Grant's thoughts on that. Um, and, and actually what I do is I go through some of the headlines that have come out of uh, the Asian Times, and I ask Grant to comment on those. So it's it's the show... This segment is about the Asian perspective of the president's trip and then Grant's comments on it. So without further ado, uh, on this Wednesday, Grant Newsham. I thought it was appropriate after the president's trip to the Pacific, uh, to, to the Quad Summit, that uh, I get Grant back on and get his uh, thoughts on on the whole thing. So, uh, Grant, first of all, good morning. How, how are you? Oh, fine, thanks. Glad to be here. Got it. Um, some interesting stuff. Uh, the other day, um, I woke up and uh, we had done the interview, and then I saw the president say that you know the United States will defend Taiwan, and I'm like, wow, how did they keep something like that a secret? You know, that's that's really impressive. That's amazing that, you know, he was he's essentially doing away with um, the process of, you know, strategic ambiguity, the whole policy of strategic ambiguity. Um, <laughs> you you and I, you watch that and you're like, whoa. And then so as I'm beginning to read about it, all of a sudden I'm then I'm seeing articles that say. You know, White House walking back the president's statement. I'm like, <laughs> no way. So, um, first of all, uh, you know, and then them saying, oh, no, no, there's no policy change in all of this. Um, this is what we've always said. You know, the, the treaty, uh, whatever, the agreement from, what, 1978 that says the United States will furnish Taiwan with the weapons it needs um, to defend itself. Um, uh, somehow that got translated by the president to saying, "Yes, I will. I we will. You know, 
defend Taiwan. Um, so I'm curious, um, your thought on another presidential faux pas, if you will. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, oh boy, it's like a Rorschach test in a way, you know, one of those inkblot things, you know, you look at it and say what you see. It, you know, that's sort of what President Biden's comment or statement uh, was, and it sort of provoked that kind of reaction amongst the, the commentariat. Uh, just a, a funny thing that after it came out that I, I got, a, I think, an email from a, a Reuters reporter up in Tokyo, and he uh, he asked me for some comments, and I gave my comments. And, and I think I caveated and said, you know, this was pretty significant if they don't start walking it back. And I think just after I sent the email back to him, he said, they've already started walking it back. Uh, but the, oh, goodness, you know, you, at least we've had some practice at this because he said this before. But my take on it, uh, boy, there's, I think he said the right thing. And that, so I have no objection to him saying it. I don't even know that it was a slip of the tongue. You know, if you look at the circumstances, he was, I think, in a press conference reading off a script and was next to the Japanese prime minister, but you never know. Uh, so I think, he, as I say, I think he said the right thing. But then when his staff starts giving you the old, well, it doesn't, you know, nothing's changed line, you know, it, it's, you know, maybe it's a really clever ploy that they've done, but I don't think they're that clever. Um, and it kind of seems like the, you wonder who's running the show, unfortunately. Right. And, you know, suppose the Chinese were doing this and, you know, we would think, man, these guys are nuts or, or how, you know, it's like a Chinese fire drill. And so that's sort of, I think, you know, it doesn't leave you feeling good, but it doesn't leave me feeling horrible. Um, but it, you know, as I say, it doesn't, um, I think it just leaves the Chinese as even more confused, but they are likely to think, well, man, if the Americans are this screwed up, maybe it's time to make a move. So that's one concern one would have. You know, one interesting thing about the strategic ambiguity uh, thing that it, it's, it, nobody quite knows where it came from. Uh, the idea, I think it may be in the early 80s, that it's like an academic, some academic thought it up to describe the U.S. approach to uh, Taiwan. Um, and actually, it was for many years, it was the idea behind it uh, was actually to make the Taiwanese wonder if America would defend them. And the idea was that, well, if the Taiwanese aren't sure we're going to, then they won't attack China, as amazing as that sounds. Mm -hmm. um, and that was actually what strategic ambiguity was thought of. Thought of. Uh, and it wasn't about making the Chinese wonder. It was about making Taiwan wonder. And that was well it at least started in the, the Bush administration. Uh, so I say it's an it's one of these things that nobody quite as a, understands, um, but also the Taiwan Relations Act. Nobody's ever read. Few people have actually read it. It's like the U.S.-Japan Security Treaty. Almost nobody ever reads it. Um, and the Taiwan Relations Act is written in such a way that 
America is pretty much saying, you know, uh, we're going to fight, you know, if you want to interpret it that way. And it was written for that purpose, in fact, by congressmen and senators who were concerned that Jimmy Carter was really going to sell Taiwan even further uh, down the road. But the language of it is, you know, it's very strongly written, saying that the if this Taiwan issue is uh, not settled peacefully, then that will be a matter of grave concern to the United States. And grave concern has that a particular meaning um, that it's fighting worth fighting about that also requires the United States government to keep the military capabilities needed to uh, resist a sort of an affront to an assault on peace in the region involving Taiwan. So it tells the U.S. government that you had better be able you better be able to fight and uh, beat the Chinese. It doesn't say that in so many in those words, but that's effectively what it means. Uh, so that it's, you know, when you say, when you read the Taiwan Relations Act, you know, what President Biden was saying is pretty much what the Taiwan Relations Act calls for. And also that a lot of people think that that's what we ought to do and ought, and will do. But once when you're his staff, you know, is a, it does leave you wondering who, who actually runs the place. And you'd like to believe that it was done purposefully, and but as you said, I don't think that that's smart. Um, I remember that um, two mornings ago when I when I saw it, I thought, you know, it's, it's quite puzzling because Taiwan is excluded from the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. How does that make any sense? You know, and I guess it only makes sense if you're. Um, you haven't changed the policy, that it's just the president misspeaking. And as much as we'd all like him to say that, um, he just seems to say it on his own and isn't really affiliated with any any kind of policy initiative. Um, so, so I, I mean, I, 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 it was a head shaker. Let me ask you, we talked about this on Monday. So I'm going to read you a headline from Asia Times. Biden's Indo-Pacific economic framework woefully more form than substance. The IPEF is Biden's limp attempt to recreate TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership, on the cheap and without commitment. That's a headline in Asia Times. Um, can you talk about, was it well received? Uh, you said the other day that everybody would be courteous in public, you know, uh, you know, it is the American economy, after all, so we need to be respectful to the present public. But, you know, um, how was it received? How did it go over? I don't think anybody takes it seriously. You know, I, you know, I've tried. I've tried to read the thing and kind of understand it and see what the, what it offers, and I don't see it. You know, it's about like a, on a bumper sticker that says like um, "Visualize World Peace" or, you know, what. Think globally, act locally. Is it's I don't see, you know, if you're some businessman, what does it do for me? If you're a government guy in uh, in Asia, you know, what is it actually? What do you get out of this? I just don't see it. Um, unfortunately, it's um, kind of strange, you know, that and even some people who are. Um, 
uh, what do you call it, um, very pro-Biden or pro, you know, that administration, you know, they think it's kind of weird as well that, and, but in the region, you know, I just don't, you know, people, you know, the good face is that the Americans are showing some interest, that they're looking at the economic uh, aspect of this fight. But if this is the best they can do, it's uh, not very impressive. And I don't know who wrote the Asia Times piece. It might have, I think I noticed Willie, Willie Pasek wrote, um, Yes, he. This is uh, that. That's it's his work that those headlines were on top of. Okay, because he's he's. Um, well, I'll put it this way: if you know, if you've heard of Trump derangement syndrome, yes. If you'd like, um, like I don't know, like squirted sort of starter fluid into the engine, he's got like a hundred times worse worse of Trump derangement syndrome. So for him to go after the Biden administration like this, that ought to tell you something. Um, but but he used to be a really good, he, sometimes he's okay, but he used to be a really good commentator on finance and economic stuff. And then he got Trump derangement syndrome. It's, but I think he's right on this. Uh, that, you know, it, I say, I just don't see what's there. Uh, you know, if you're a business guy that wants to sell stuff in America or, uh, or there's, a sen- there's essentially you know, nothing for you if you're that guy. You know, and what else matters if you're like an i don't know an like an official who gets invited to uh summit meetings and you know these nice junkets to you know stay at the five star hotels for a week to discuss supply chain resiliency um that's a, a sweet deal but in terms of you know it actually making somebody uh, wealthier or having more business, more opportunities to sell stuff. I, I don't see where that comes from. Uh, and that's, so I say it's a pretty strange uh, thing. And you'd mentioned Matthew Goodman's comments last time we talked. And um, and he, he's, I think he's good. You know, I was acquainted with him a little bit when I was at the embassy in Tokyo years ago. Uh, and he's a, a sensible guy. And you could see he was, couldn't see what the, what, what there was to this. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, there's a political benefit that comes of just showing up and showing some interest. Uh, but this one, I don't see it. You know, I don't know what, you know, who is going to say, boy, this is great. You know, that President Biden and these guys talked about the IPEF. Uh, I, I don't see it. You know, and I would say, wait six months, wait three months, and then you know, hold, take stock and see what has the, been the, the outcome, the concrete outcome of this. And I don't know that you'll see that you'd be able to list very much. You know, it's um, glad the adults are, are back running the show. Oh. Uh, here, this, is a, this is a headline from a piece written by Andrew Salmon. Uh, headline mm-hmm. reads this, Quad Summit Outlines Wider Indo-Pacific Ambitions, the subheadline, Quad grouping is still big on talk and short on action, but its outreach to potential new members speaks volume to China, volumes to China. Um, so again, the same kind of headline. Um, but again, not long on action other than gestures that China... Um, I, I don't know. Um, the Quad was, uh, he writes, the Quad was originally birthed in 2004, but did little until recently. It was reborn in its present format in 2017 
a time when China was looking both more assertive and more powerful. Today's summit was the Quad's second following a 2021 meeting. Despite the considerable power of the Quad's four members, they are seeking wider security relationships in the region and beyond. One reason for this is because the Quad is in no way is, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Quad is a long way from being or ever becoming anything like an Asian NATO. In a joint statement, the squad, the squad, the quad, the squad's very different, made a steadfast commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific that is inclusive and resilient. Quote, we strongly support the principles of freedom, rule of law, democratic values, sovereignty, territorial integrity, peaceful settlement of disputes without resorting to threat or use of force or any unilateral attempt to change the status quo and freedom of navigation and overflight, the statement said. So, um, I mean, that could that could have gone with any summit meetings that go, and probably did. Um, so again, uh, the wider agenda of this group is it any did anything break squelch ultimately, and what happened, Grant? Oh, I think um, a little bit. You know, I'm actually more optimistic about the quad. Uh, than that article would be. Um, and, you know, as long as you promise not to make fun of me, um, I'll be optimistic about it. But the, uh, <laughs> I, but, got, uh, I got a few emails in the last <laughs> 24 hours saying, Mac, I thought Grant was pessimistic. You are you are beyond him on the fly. <laughs> and I yeah. said, I look, I'm not a pessimist by nature, but, you know, I've been watching this stuff and whether it was the volcano eruption in Tonga or, you know, Grant constantly telling us about the Chinese engagements in the Solomon and other islands, and we can have it for, you know, pennies on the dollar. And we just don't do anything. And I don't know if, if that's your attitude. I don't know how anything changes. And, and, and But it has to start with some sort of um, economic deal for them that brings them closer to the American orbit. And everything you read says that wasn't going to happen, and it didn't happen. So I apologize for my for my negativity, but it's Grant's fault. I'm telling you, you've, you've raised me in here in the yeah. Pacific, and I so these negative negative waves, Moriarty. <laughs> <it, it>, <laughs> you know what? I was having a, an exchange <laughs> with um, some friends over that movie less than three days ago. Okay, well, it's right. the best, best, one of the best movies ever made. When Oddball fires the paint round at the Panzer, that's <laughs> awesome, right? And mm-hmm. you have the, the bridging guys. Kelly, Kelly, don't <laughs> don't screw us, Kelly. We want our money, right? Uh, drink, drinking wine, eating cheese, catch <laughs> a few waves. Oh, my God. I mean. Yeah, def- definitely an antisocial type. The dialogue in that, if you haven't seen Kelly's Heroes, um, there is some of the funniest. I bought the I bought the soundtrack called "Burning Bridges," done by the Mike Curb Congregation, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and then there's a the thing about when the uh, the outhouses get blown up and the guys were in it. And, oh yeah, and mm-hmm. one of them says, "It does kind of make you homesick, doesn't it?" <laughs> Don Rickles said. Makes you homesick, don't it? Yeah. Don, don Rickles don't, is don't. Don Rickles is great. Telly Savalas is great. Oh yeah, big right? Joe. Mm-hmm. And then uh 
right? And then this one, stop with the negative waves, Moriarty. The bridge is there. It's going to be a beautiful bridge, right? And that's Donald Sutherland, right? Oh, he was so, they were, I mean, I'll tell you what, it's huge actors in that thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, Carol O'Connor plays the, the general that can't figure out what's going on. Where's this thing going? But anyway, I don't want to get sued too sidetracked, but <laughs> stop with the negative waves, Moriarty. I'm just telling you. I'm telling the bridge you. will be there. It's going to be a beautiful bridge, baby. <laughs> Tell you, McNamara, the quads are beautiful thing, baby. Exactly. <laughs> but, Stop uh, with, with your negative energy. So with the uh, with the quads. Yeah. So yeah. Why, so you know, why I'm actually kind of optimistic about it is if you if you if you remember back, uh, say 2007 when Abe, Prime Minister Abe of uh, Japan, introduced it, he was kind of laughed off of the stage. You know, everybody, you know, all the pundits, etc said, oh, this is ridiculous, it'll never happen. Uh, he didn't call it the quad. It was something, I forget, the Asian, the democratic diamond or something. Um, but it was the quad. And to actually get these four countries together, actually talking about fighting and doing some things that could involve fighting uh, is no small feat. And, you know, the Indians showing up, you know, that was for forever. It was thought, well, the Indians are too hard too much trouble to deal with. They'll never do this, but they're kind of, you know, getting involved here. And, you know, the Australians have always been, well, actually, when Abe started this, the Chinese pressured the labor Australian government uh, to not get involved in the quad, and the Australian labor government didn't get involved. It said, kind of said, oh, we're sorry. Um, we'll never have a meeting like that again. So to see the Australians you know, jump right in. That's actually not quite as, uh, what do you call it, um, easy as you would have thought. But I say, so I think that you can actually make something of it. And you have people, I say, talking about fighting, and it's obvious who they're talking about fighting against. And this wouldn't have even happened, you know, seven, eight years ago. Uh, so I think that's something. Plus, you can, you know, it's always easy to get you know, you know, doing economic stuff actually takes some effort, but getting, you know, uh, say the ships from those four navies plus some hangers on get together and uh, say doing something in the middle of the South China Sea, uh, that's, you know, actually kind of doable. And so it's easier to actually get some tangible results from it and to you know, make of the quad what, uh, say, what bureaucrats or these defense bureaucrats, whatever their imagination uh, allows them to do. But I think it does provide some of basis for some reasonable military cooperation, which tends to have a political knock-on effect. Uh, but as you, as you said, that if you don't get the economic part of this effort right, that the military thing is going to find itself uh, kind of out on a limb or eroded by uh, the Chinese using their commercial and economic and uh, political influence to set up all over the region. And yeah, you can hold any exercise you want, but uh, the Chinese will be picking off many of the nations who are not going to have want to have much to do with you and are going to want to have more to do with them. So the economic part really is has to be seen as indispensable. Uh, but the Quad is, you know, it, it, to me it does represent sort of progress and uh, opportunity if we can make something of it. Uh, but so that's, 
Yeah, and and I'm not just sort of being optimistic to be optimistic, but I think there's uh, there there is something of substance to it, and could be some more if uh, we can get our acts together. All right, I'll take that at face value. Um, You and I pondered this question. A yes or no answer I'm looking for. Do you understand why we don't open American markets to our allies in in the Western Pacific? No, um, I don't. They, you know, they are open, of course, but you can always open As, them more. Right at the same in yeah. the same way they're open to everybody else. No, I really don't. Uh, I'd say it's just stupid. Well, there's stupidity, and then there's the people who want them closed who. Uh, you know, they donate to politicians. Uh, you know, every trade deal or every sort of accommodation that's ever been made on trade has had a political aspect to it. And few of them actually make real economic sense. Uh, but they're done for, you know, theoretically they might. But almost always a trade deal is done for the political reasons, uh, not the the actual not a dollars and cents part of it. And I just don't understand it, you know, at all. You know, you've, um, you know, if so you want someone to be your friend, you know, you want to give them a good deal. You know, show them that you go, they're going to get, you know, um, some special treatment. And you know, economic is where um, that's what people like. It's you know, you get money out of it, and you know, governments like it because one, they get money, but also they have, you know, when their economies are doing better, it helps their political position. Uh, no, I really don't understand it. I think we've mentioned, talked about it before that, you know, Taiwan, you know, beyond the defense hardware requirements, uh, it really needs to get its, uh, give its economy a boost. Uh, and that's where giving Taiwan a free trade agreement to one open U.S. markets a lot more would have really been good. Um, but the, during the, the, well, it's never been done, but the Trump administration, you know, they understood all these things, but they faced immense opposition once again from the donor class. Uh, but also the U.S. trade representative, I think I've mentioned this before, that, you know, who are the ones who would negotiate a deal and, you know, if they have some initiative would actually propose it. Um, they you know, said afterwards, like after the administration ended with that, they were um, they'd used up all their bandwidth on reaching a deal with China. And, you know, I'd always thought that, you know, um, government GS people, you know, can't they like work overtime, uh, you know, for something this important, you know, I, you know, when I heard that was the reason was they were just too busy. That didn't seem like a very good reason to me, you know, really a lost opportunity uh, would have helped Taiwan's economy, but also the political significance uh, would have been immense. And sometimes if you've achieve something like a free trade agreement, well, doing joint military exercises is a little bit easier to do. Right. And it's, you know, as you said, the I can't think of any reason to keep or to not open our markets as widely as we can uh, to these people in the, the region. Uh, if they like, if they're nice to us. Or, right, right. Or even halfway nice. Um, there's a headline that, that I, I want to ask you about. Um, the new leader of Pakistan is named Sharif. Flipping Pakistan's U.S.-China relations, new leader moving closer to the United States and further from China, 
as Islamabad's interests suddenly are better served by Washington. Are you tracking that at all? Um, I noticed the headlines, and I've you know kind of follow Pakistan a bit. I, I used to actually do some work there many years ago, and um, uh, but I um, yeah, and I say so noticed the headline. I didn't read it partly because I couldn't believe it, or, <laughs> or I was curious. You know, what's he got in mind? Uh, that would be would be interesting. You know, and I it's you know you, you of course have the um, the problem of if you get too close to Pakistan, the Indians don't like it. If you get too close to India, the Pakistanis don't like it. And if you're going to choose your friends there, you know, I would probably go with India. Um, but if, you know, Pakistan's interested, well, show us. Um, but it tar- it's a, boy, it's a country that's got problems. Uh, it's basically a feudal country. Uh, but also that its finances have just been a complete disaster. Um, you know, forever. And, and I wonder if, you know, I say I haven't, I'm now actually go read the article, but I'm wondering it's because the Pakistanis need some help from the IMF uh, or some other international lenders. Um, not least they borrowed a ton of money from the Chinese. But even if they hadn't gotten bed with the Chinese, they'd still uh, be rattling the tin cup, uh, needing some money. Got it. All right. Um, I think so. The the forum ran pretty much true to your predictions. Um, what is the next thing that you're looking at, other than book writing, um, that we should keep our eye on in the Pacific? Oh boy, it um, it is happening right now, and it you know we've talked about it, but it's the Chinese foreign minister uh, was. Um, you know, just as we, you know, the, all this stuff was going up and on up in Northeast Asia with the president, etc. Uh, the Chinese foreign minister um, was down, went down to the Solomons, and he's going to make a, a real swing through through the region. You know, New Guinea, um, Fiji, Tonga, Vanuatu, um, Kiribati, I think, and he's going to say make the rounds. And he's, you know, he may sign some security deals or economic deals. Uh, while he's there, but it, you, know, you, you, they're strengthening their inroads, their influence, and as we talked about before, they, they're the military part of the Chinese move uh, is now in motion, and they, this is something that, um, you know, hopefully that, well, I don't think in, I'm sure it's being watched, say at Indo-PACOM, but I doubt anybody's doing anything useful about it. Uh, and I'm not being mean, but you know, if we haven't already, uh, this is is late in the day. Uh, you know, we squandered opportunities, and you know, here we are. But to see the Chinese pushing on this front, uh, and they're sort of um, bragging. No, not surprisingly, they're bragging about it, almost ridiculing us uh, that you know that they're making this progress and that they're moving. And partly, it's. Um, but they're kind of telling the Australians, showing the Australians, uh, you know, wait until we really get going. Uh, you know, this new Australian administration, uh, the, the Chinese have kind of told them, just showing them what they think uh, of it and what they th- think of like a, a new, re- if there's going to be a new relationship with Australia, it's going to be on China's terms. Uh, so to me, that's something that really deserves uh, some attention. And, and one thing, you know, when the, 
the foreign minister goes, Chinese foreign minister goes to these places, you'll notice he's, it's one place after another. And the, um, you know, and usually when the, these people don't want somebody to come, they'll use COVID quarantine as the excuse. But he's just popping right in with his entourage and COVID be damned. And, you know, there he is. Uh, so to me, that's um, kind of a big thing as it's going on. And, and I can't recall if I'd mentioned this the other day, but you know, I read an article that by um, a fella it's, um, who had been the, he was the head of the Australian army, actually, he's retired now. And his advice when regarding the Solomon thing was for everybody just to stay calm and and not get excited about it. And, he, and part of this, I mean, it's the comedy just writes itself. Now, he also said, don't blame the government. Don't blame the intelligence services. Don't blame the military for what happened, um, which kind of raises the questions, well, was anybody, you know, are leprechauns <laughs> to blame? And, I, you know, I'm thinking of writing something, I say, because the, the, the comedy writes itself. Uh, so, but I haven't quite got, had the time to do it. But the, so, you know, it's, it, you're just so you, I'm not optimistic that anybody's got a plan to take on uh, what the Chinese are doing. Got it. Um, the fact that uh, the Chinese and the Russians sent aircraft near Japan during this event, and the fact that North Korea fired a ballistic missile, according to South Korea, off its east coast, um, all those designed to. Um, uh, just be a, a a finger in the chest, a poke in the eye uh, during the Quad Summit? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. You know, well, there's three countries, so that would be six middle fingers that they could, <laughs> could hold out. Yeah, you know, I'm being funny, but that's kind of what it is. Right. Uh, it, you know, it's not, you know, like these people just sort of do this stuff at random. Mm. You know, or the Russians happen to have some bombers up and, oh, there's some Chinese guys. Let's fly with them. Uh, now this is all thought out, and it's done for a purpose. And it, you know, it, maybe in North Korea's case, there's a little bit of engineering and experimentation going on. But basically, it's uh, telling these, you know, the, these civilized countries that are getting together uh, that you know we don't think much of you. And the Japanese are, of course, you know, irked as usual to have you know, Japanese, Chinese, and Russian bombers flying around them. Uh, but it's uh, it, there's it's you know the, there's an operational aspect to this of course, uh, but as much it's you know really you're seeing people's character what these people think, and they are you know sort of greasing themselves up for a for a fight. Grant, first of all, um, I want to thank you for making back to back appearances. I don't often ask you, but I thought the president going out to the Pacific warranted such a, uh, such an intense, um, second appearance. So, uh, thank you very much for your optimism and the information and, uh, have a great weekend. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thanks. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Brent. Mm -hmm. That'll do it on a Wednesday. Don't be afraid to go to a school board meeting. 
Uh, keep all those families in your prayers. If you're a parent out there and you listen to this, if you don't teach your kids discipline, if you don't teach them self-discipline, if you don't teach them respect and hard work, you're going to fuck their lives up. There is only one path to success. And I know your little pumpkin is a snowflake and the most unique and beautiful creature on the world in the world, but you got to give them the tools that they need to live great lives. And I will tell you, the tool to live a great life is not understanding what a snowflake you are, right? And how your feelings are so important. That is not. That will fucking kill you. Or kill somebody else. On that note, have a great day. I'll be back on Friday with something from the Mensa Brothers. Keep those people in your prayers. 